Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Podcast lovers, how the fuck are you? Welcome to the show. Lions Lounge Lockdown is sponsored for the entire 2020-21 season by Match Scaffolding. Match Scaffolding is a company owned and operated by a Millwall fan and long-time season ticket holder. So if you need a little bit of scaffolding in your life, in your workplace, at your house, at your holiday home, wherever you may choose, then please don't hesitate to check out Match Scaffolding's contact details in the description of this audio podcast offering. Our guest today is the man that scored the first ever goal at... The New Den, but not just that. There's so much more to this story. John Kerr grew up the son of a professional footballer playing for the New York Cosmos. So he was around Pele as a youngster. He then came to England himself and forged a career in the game. And his wife also played for the Millwall Lionesses whilst he was a Millwall player. So as I said, so much more to this story. A brilliant interview, a brilliant man, a great character. Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode 31. John Kerr, enjoy Okay, so we're going to go in three, two, one. Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode 31. The first ever goal scorer at the New Den. John Kerr, thanks for joining us, John. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Over the moon, over the moon mate, you're on the show. Um, as I say, we usually cover Millwall careers in this show, but let's go back to the very beginning. Let's go back to the very beginning of John Kerr's existence because you're an American international, but... Um, via some other waters so I hear. Yeah, so my parents are from Glasgow, okay. and they grew up in a town called Govan, which is right near Rangers Football Club. But uh, the big uh, kind of story from my parents' beginning is they lived in the same town as Alex Ferguson. Okay. And my father started playing football as a 17-year-old with Partick Thistle Nil as uh, the comedians in Glasgow, Billy Conley calls them. Um, so uh, my father played in high school, Govan High, with Alex and his brother Martin. And Martin was on the same team at Partick Thistle. And I got a chance to see Fergie about, I don't know, five, six years ago in Philadelphia. And I brought some of the paraphernalia from those days. And I showed him a picture of the team from 1963. And he knew them all except for one. He was going through Chalmers, Smith, Jones, Jeffers. 
And there's one that kind of, I said, it's, it's underneath. He goes, I know, I know, I know, but I want to figure it out. So he's not competitive, even trying to figure out pictures. So, you know, I have some great stories of my parents growing up in Govan. It was a rough town, shipbuilders little uh, town. And I, I've taken my kids there, just kind of show where we come from as cares. And um, my father's mother got a chance to immigrate to Canada back in the early 60s when they were paying, you know, Scots people to go there. So she took the opportunity and my father ended up moving back after his first year at Partick and explored the opportunities in Canada to play soccer. And, and there were, you know, plenty of them. So he uh, came back to Scotland, asked my mother if she wanted to go to Canada. And she said, absolutely get me out of here. <laughs> Cause it was so freaking cold in Glasgow. So um, they immigrated over and I was born a couple of years later. And my father uh, luckily had a pretty uh, long career. He started at Partick Thistle and then went to Canada and started there in kind of the semi-pro leagues. And then he got an opportunity to go in 1968 to, to Detroit. So we went down to Detroit. And then the next year went down to Washington, D.C. and spent two years there with the Washington Darts. And then um, he got a chance to join the New York Cosmos in 1972. So we moved up to New York and I was seven at the time. And uh, he was playing his best football and uh, got a chance to, they won the national tournament. So the NASL championship. And in that final game, <clears throat> they had a, a couple of scouts from Mexico in the stands and they were watching a player or wanted to watch a player that ended up being injured, didn't play in the final, but my dad had a really good game. So after the game, they uh, approached him and said, uh, we're, a couple of Mexican uh, scouts and we liked you to come to Mexico to play for club America, wow. which was the biggest club in Mexico. And uh, so he went from playing in New York in front of two and a half, 3000 people to 120,000 people the following couple of weeks in Mexico city. So <clears throat> that was a chance for me as a young kid to really feel what it's like to play in a soccer crazy country. Cause I, mm -hmm you know, didn't really grow up in, in Toronto or, or in Glasgow, or just bits and pieces here and there as a young kid. But this is a chance to when I was in the full football culture and going to Mexico had an unbelievable influence on me because as you know, they play, play football all the time, just like they do in England and Scotland, et cetera, before school, any break during school, lunchtime, middle afternoon break after school you play at the school and then when you go home they're playing in the park you're playing with 20 year olds you're playing with 15 year olds you're mm -hmm. playing with eight year olds and for me it just introduced me to the to the to the game and I fell in love with it and and I got to go to all my father's games and you know standing on the field with 120,000 people oh my goodness it just mm -hmm. it just seemed unreal mm -hmm. um got to play in a halftime game and uh, I was, you know, obviously one of the youngest kids playing and the ball was coming across the line and I nipped up and I just got my toe and I slid and I scored and I thought I won the World Cup and <laughs> all the 120,000 people were screaming and I was, thought I had just gone, died and gone to heaven. So it was a great experience for a young lad at seven years old to, to be in Mexico. I was, we were there for like two years and then he um, came back to New York and, uh, Another great story, the following year, 1975, it was the year when the great Edson Arantes do Nascimento joined the New York Cosmos, otherwise known as Pelé. Yep, Pelé. So my dad was a player and assistant coach to a lad from uh, 
from Newcastle called Gordon Bradley. And um, so I got a chance to meet Pelé and be in his presence and watch wow. training and be a ball boy. And wow, I thought again, I died and went to heaven in those, you know, period of three or four years. So obviously um, it gave me the, the, the craving to continue in the game and get better. And um, the next year, my dad got traded to Washington, D.C., the diplomats, and he played with another famous um, coach and former player from Manchester United, Dennis Violet, um, from the 50s and 60s of Manchester United. And I think he led the Premier League or the old first division in scoring on several occasions back then. Well, so he told us anyway. Um, so, you know, again, I've been exposed to, as a young lad, so many opportunities with, with the game and so grateful my father played. And he retired in 1977. So I grew up the rest of my, my life in uh, Northern Virginia. Um, and, uh, you know, decided to go to college. That was the kind of thing for an American kid to do, to go to college. And, and I got recruited by the same school that I'm coaching at now, Duke University, which is, um, I feel so lucky because it's, it's a great school academically, great sports tradition. And uh, we were able to win the national championship in my senior year. So um, from there, I was able to uh, pursue a career in England. And how I did it wasn't the normal call somebody up and get a trial. Hmm. It was, uh, I went to England. I spent my last semester at school here at university as a, a semester abroad. So I was studying in London and got fixed up with a trial with uh, a, a team called Harrow Borough, just outside London. Yeah. And one of my dad's mates used to play for him, his English mate, and said, yeah, can, can you come down and, and uh, have a go? So I went and, you know, the, the manager didn't believe whoever was calling on my behalf. He didn't believe that I, as an American, wanted to play English football. <laughs> so the American football. So he didn't believe it. Um, but then uh, he gave me a try, and, and I went out there, and I think he was impressed. And so luckily for me, I, um, I, I did quite well, and they got me in the first team, and we started winning, and as you know, there's a scout everywhere you go in England, whatever level there is, there's somebody watching. Mm. And uh, so it kind of uh, got out there that a few football clubs were interested, like Crystal Palace came to watch me play, Portsmouth came to watch me play, and uh, even Liverpool um, came down to watch me actually play for Portsmouth Reserves against Crystal Palace. Okay. So um, luckily for me uh, – the scout at the time was a guy named Peter Osgood, who you guys know, yeah. who was a legend at Chelsea and played for England. And, and uh, he was also the youth team coach down there. And when I went down for a trial, I uh, played in this game against Crystal Palace and, and um, I did quite well. We won one nothing. I scored the goal. And as soon as I was walking off the field, uh, an England manager or former England player was the manager, Alan Ball, in his squeaky voice said, son, come on. Me, my office, please. So I went into the office, sat me down. He said, Son, we'd like to sign you. I said, Fantastic. <laughs> so I went in, and uh, within you know 10 minutes, I was signing. I want to sign with Portsmouth. So uh, I went back to London, finished my schooling, and joined the team in, in preseason. And that was the year they got promotion from the second division into the first division. Um, but I played with Vince Hilaire and uh, one of my close friends is still to today is Paul Mariner, um, Vince Hilaire, Kenny Swain. Um, geez, 
Noel Blake. Um, and then they had a big center forward, Mickey Quinn. Yeah. Was playing center forward, Mickey Quinn, who ate all the pies. Big Mick. He's and, got a lot of goals um, for Newcastle. And yeah, he did. He did. He did. Coventry and Newcastle. Yeah, he yeah. scored a lot of great. And he's a great, what a great guy. Mm. One of the great stories um, that Mickey Quinn, we were on the locker room and Alan Ball came into the locker room and, you know, he had the same haircut for many, many years. And all of a sudden he had one kind of pulled back like mine, all, all, all back. And, and Mickey Quinn said, as he walked into the locker room, he said, do you got a new bike gaffer? <laughs> and everybody was rolling because obviously when you're rolling down on a bike, your hair gets pushed back and oh my God, everyone was crying. Even Alan Ball was, he was, he was brilliant about it. So the, that's when I really understood the, the great sense of humor the Brits had and, and uh, you have to come and you have to deal with it and you can't be exposed to it. My first appearance in a Harrow Borough locker room, I walked in and one of the lads started singing, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. <laughs> so this, they want to put you on the edge to see how you'll handle it. And Coast. luckily Think I have swim. a good sense Think of humor. Think or swim. Yeah. So that's kind of my beginning in from transferring from being a, a you know, a youth American mm. and growing up in the U S and then uh, transferring over to England. And in that period, I actually got into the, the national team program. I actually tried out for the under 17s for Canada and a guy named Barry McLean, an English guy didn't like my style and didn't pick me. So, you know, I grew up in America and that system. So they knew me. And then I finally got my citizenship because I was a Canadian for 18 years and I was able to get uh, uh, my Canadian uh, American citizenship. And that next year I was invited to play for the, actually the full national team, actually under twenties for a couple of games. And then, I got pulled into the under under uh, a full national team with the U.S. as a 20-year-old, uh, which was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. So how did yeah. you end up getting to Millwall in the end? And then, so it's funny because I I had a year with um, with uh, Portsmouth, and then something terrible in my own life. Uh, my mother was really sick, so when I went to Portsmouth that year, uh, when I was coming back in the summer, my my parents didn't tell me. My dad said didn't tell me because he didn't want me to come back earlier. My mom was, was dying with cancer. Oh, wow. So when I got back, um, it was, it was just a matter of time. And, uh, I wasn't in a place, I'm an only child. So I was really close to my mother. I wasn't ready to come back and play. And, okay. and it was interesting because during that period, a guy named Jim Kalman was the manager of Wickham Wanderers and they were playing in the, uh, in the conference league at the time, kept in touch with me for whatever reason. Um, but my mother, being Scottish, we, we went back together to Scotland and uh, we trained. I trained a little bit at Rangers because it was right near my house, even though I'm a Celtic fan. Got to make that clear. Um, <laughs> but I trained a little bit with Rangers. And I, actually, you know who was the UT manager? Jimmy Nickel was the UT manager at the time right. when I was there. And what a great guy he was. Fantastic. So anyway, she passed. My mother passed in October. And then I moved back down to London and played with Wickham that, that following year and had a really good Good time there. Scored did a lot well. of goals for in a short space of time, didn't you? I did, yeah. We had a good team. Um, Steve Guppy was one of the guys I was keeping out of the squad at the time. Wow. And then another, um, there was a big center forward that was with South End, I believe, and then played for Manchester United in Coventry. Big guy center forward. I was keeping him at the time, out of the team at the time. Just want to point out as well, I think at, at this point, sorry, we can wonder as non-league. 
Yeah, they were Vauxhall Conference, course, trying to now, get into the. Now foot. they're in the same division as Millwall. We've come a long way, but back then, I know, right? Yeah, there was no. You know what's that's funny about? Uh, I'm in. I've been in touch with the the chairman, is an American guy, and all the clubs that I played for have an American owner. Millwall, John, obviously John Burleson, and then Peter um, is the manager. Keurig is the manager of Wickham, and right. then the Pompey manager is uh, uh, the guy from Disney. And I'm trying to think what other club. Peterborough, I think, is has an American owner. And I played for them for, for two months on loan when I was at Portsmouth. So it's amazing from going to England when nothing was American, not a player, not an owner, nothing. And then now all of a sudden, you know, the amount of Americans playing in Europe has is, is improved dramatically. And now obviously ownership and and now even coaching. And, and uh, there's a general manager that's uh, it's at uh, Barnsley. Uh, the name escapes me, but he's the manager, or, or sorry, the uh, like. What do they call him? The GM or the sporting director? That's right. Yeah, director um, of football. Yeah, of like Barnsley, he's American lad that uh, I actually coached when he was a young guy, oh, boy. and he's doing great there. Well, he kept him up anyway, right? They they stayed up at the yeah. at the death. Um, so it's interesting that you know, as Americans, we're we we persevere and we we keep on track, and we we're going to try to to make our way somewhere and. And then from how I got to Millwall, um, so I came back. I was a little homesick. My mother passed away, and then um, I came back, and I ended up at Duke as an assistant coach. And I uh, had a great experience, and I knew at some point in my life I wanted to go back into coaching and, and coach at university level. Okay. But I still had the, the burn to play. So somehow, I can't remember how I got in touch with um, Millwall and Charlton. So I went for trials at Millwall and at Charlton at the same time. Okay. Um, and then both of them wanted to sign me for the rest of the season, which was great. Um, um, and then... You made the right choice, obviously. I did. I did, right? I did. <laughs> no question about it. Um, and what happened was I kind of... They made it easy for me. Um, Charlton, because I, initially Mick said, I, I can only sign you to the end of the season... And then Charlton said, I can only sign you at the end of the season, but we want you to play one more reserve game. So I said, okay. I played one reserve game, and I called up the scout from Millwall, Ron. Um, he's a, such a great guy. Ron, 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 Ron. Can't remember his last name. But he came to watch me, and uh, I scored two goals. And then after the game, Ron, Ron called me and said, do not sign with Charlton. <laughs> do not sign to Charlton. I'll be in touch with you. And uh, Charlton right away wanted to sign me right after the game. And I said, no, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll you know, talk to you tomorrow. But they wanted to give me one more. They wanted to make sure my hamstring was right because I wasn't right. And so that game allowed me to get seen by the Millwall scout, which ended up uh, being a great thing for me. And uh, so it ended up that Millwall gave me a two-and-a-half-year contract, which I was like, well, there's no question who I'm signing with. And I always wanted to sign. I mean, I had the feeling – they're moving into a new stadium and things were going up and they had a lot of good players, good young players um, like Alec Ray was playing and Jimmy Marley. And, uh, you know, it was a really good young team. Mandy May ran the show in that little holding position. It was a really fun team to watch. And, and I could see myself playing in that group. I thought I can really uh, do well here if I'm, if I'm able to give an opportunity. And that's how I ended up getting an opportunity with Millwall was that, that chief scout, I'll figure out his name and I'll send it to you. But uh, Ron said, don't sign with Charlton. Don't sign with Charlton. So, and that's funny because um, Crystal Palace was interested as well because they were at the game and they said, oh, we want to talk to you. And I'm like, I want to go to Millwall. I'm ready to go there. 
Brilliant, brilliant. So, so. You, you signed in 1993, February. Yeah. Um, what was your first impressions of the club and your teammates and the old den? You know what I loved? I, I loved that, you know, I, I was in England for four or five years and this team really wanted to play football. And they were tough, but they really, really wanted to play football. So, again, I was attracted to that because I, I wanted to play football, attacking, you know, and, and uh, not just over the top and just lump balls in because that's not my style. I'm five foot nine. I'm not that type of player. But yeah. this team wanted to play. And they had the players and the manager. Mick McCarthy was all about playing. Get it down and play. Get it to your feet. Get it. Keep moving. Pass and move. Pass and move. Get, you know, get across your defender. Get in the box. Be aggressive close down, work hard, all these little concepts that I believed in. And I, and I really uh, enjoyed uh, implementing as a player in my own game. And so I, I kind of felt like I fit into the puzzle of what they were trying to do. Yeah. You joined the club, at say is a, it was an absolute vital time in the club's history, just coming off the back of an up the old ground, going into the new ground. Obviously we'll get onto that shortly, but you'd been living in London for a while, you said, but it must've been comforting to have big Casey Keller there, a fellow American in the setup with you. No question. He was really uh, instrumental and helped me understand what it took to, to navigate the system there. And he's, you know, he was there only maybe about nine or 10 months before, but obviously fell into to becoming the starting goalkeeper and a fan favorite. And, um, you know, I knew him a little bit before I got there through the national team program, but not overly, but him and Chris and his wife really opened up their doors to me and having a fellow American there and understanding where you come from was a big help. And mm. so we really enjoyed each other's company. And then we were able to recruit our other friend, Bruce Murray over a few months later. So it was kind of fun. And then we had a lot of, uh, you know, the Aussies were over Davey Mitchell and Jason and another, uh, another striker. I can't remember his name. Was it Alistair Alistair Edwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we had a little bit of a foreign contingent, so, for example, when they had the Super Bowl in January, we had a little party at our apartment. Not a crazy one, just a hors d'oeuvres and a few bevies, whatever, but nothing crazy. Um, but uh, we'd have everyone over and all the Americans and, you know, it was a foreign contingent. So it was, it was kind of fun. We had this kind of uh, relationship in amongst the team. And, you know, we had a great time. I've spent a lot of time with, with, with Keith Stevens and, and uh, all the boys. I mean, we used to have great nights out and great fun together. And, and uh, another great story I have for you is one time in training, Steve, Keith Stevens fouled me on purpose in training. And he didn't mean to hurt me, but he actually broke my Taylor's bone. I had to go up to London oh. and uh, the next day and, and get a scan and, I, and it was broken. And it was a bummer because I was flying in training. And I was just coming back of a, of a hamstring injury but we still went out together and had that night out, you know, I'm hopping along and the next day I had to go get a scan and I'm walking down the streets of London. I can barely walk. He goes, you're all right. You're all right, John. You're all right. And I'm like, no, I'm not all right. I know I'm not all right. So um, that's, you know, it was a great, you know, I didn't hold it against him. It's just the way he played. And, you know, it was one of those things. He didn't mean to hurt me, but he got me. He definitely got me. He's mm. so, a, a brilliant, brilliant great photo. guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. I don't know if you've seen, there's a brilliant photo um, of you, Bruce, and Casey draped in the American flag. I think it must be at the training. Oh, yeah, room. yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Do you remember that day? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah I remember that day, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, I think even Mick came over and stood with us. <laughs> what was he like for you as a manager, Big Mick? 
you know what I liked about him? Straightforward, honest. Um, and he, he'd always pull you. So if you're in the starting lineup and in the next game, you're not going to be in the starting lineup, he'd come and pull you aside and say, this is, I'm not putting you in. This is why. And you just got to keep plugging away and do these things properly and, and, you know, let it, let it continue. Mm. So I love that about him. He's honest and he's not going to pull the wool over your head or play games with you. He's just going to tell it straight. And I just, he's a competitor. He, he wanted to play for him because he wanted to win and he wanted you to play your best. He really wanted you to, to make a contribution and, and play at your best. And if you weren't, you get dropped and, or, or, you know, a hammering and, and uh, in a good way, you know, you, sometimes those players need that to get going and in a competitive world and dog eat dog, you got to step up. And so I really loved him. I thought he was great. And, and even more, I loved Ian Evans, who was his uh, second man in charge. That's right. Yeah. And, and we spent hours upon hours. And I, I think his leg has fallen off now because he used to serve balls to all of us strikers every day before training. And, uh, you know, with Casey and goal and, it was, it really helped me a lot of repetition. It really helped me get confident and in his sense of humor and his confidence in you. He showed confidence in you. And Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And, and said, hey, you can do this. And that gave me, a, you know, a great uh, pick, pick me up to, to do well and to really want to perform and and so that the whole staff, the whole environment, the whole kind of feeling in the club was a real positive. And, and it just, it was the greatest time in my football and career because it was the best I played over a longer period of time with some great guys in a, mm. in a real environment that you felt that people cared about you and not just mm. on the field. It's all the staff, all the people around the, the edges, you know, the equipment managers and all the secretaries and the tea ladies and everybody else. They all care about you. And even when I go back now to the games once in a while, they all go, you know, they can't, can't do enough for you. 
Mm. So the, the feeling of the club I have is second to none. I love it. And they do things the right way and they care and they're so passionate and it's, it's awesome. I really, mm. even in the bad times when they used to boo me, I still love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you joined in, in February, 1993, um, towards, the, towards the end of the 92-93 season, the last ever season at the old den. Um, a very quick introduction. Do you remember your debut? Uh, I want to say was that against Luton Town off the bench. Is that right? Correct. And then after that, you know, that was maybe not such a memorable one. We won the we won the game one nil. After that, straight into West Ham away. And the game after that, you score against your old club Pompey at the Den. What were those All two right. games yeah, like? Yeah, I do that. Um, you know, being a Millwall player and in, in playing in a derby against West Ham, that was exciting. And I have a cousin that's a. Uh, grew up in that area and she came to the game with her mother and came to the game and, and all her family are West Ham fans. So she oh, was yeah. cheering for us as a, as a Millwall person and, you know, playing at West Ham was a thrill at Upton Park and we got a good result. I think we tied two, two coming back yeah. from behind. That's right. And um, it was a, it was a great, it was a great feeling because we needed that result going into the end of the season there. Mm. And then, and then um, obviously uh, playing, playing Pompey, I still had some Alan Knight was in goal when I was playing, you know, four or five years before that and to score against him. And I think they had a real good goal scoring against record. They didn't give up many goals and to get a goal against Pompey, geez, what a thrill. It was awesome for me personally. It was great. <laughs> there's a, there's a good photo of you celebrating with the fans and a player running in just behind you at a time. Gavin Maguire, also an ex Portsmouth player. We've heard some stories on, uh, on mad Gav. What was he like for you as a teammate? Great. He's the kind of guy you want on your team and not play against him. Oh, my goodness. Whenever I was faced up against him, oh, it's like playing Ben Thatcher. Never get a moment's peace. <laughs> um, I had to wear shin pads all up the front of my legs and the back. <laughs> full body armor. Full body armor on the, on the, below the knee. Oh, those two guys. And then Terry Herlock when he came, although he was – he was a little bit more calm in those days, the second time coming around. <laughs> um, also, while we're on the subject then of, um, of um, lively players, shall we say, everyone seems to have a Pat Fandon Howe story as well. <laughs> oh, my God. What a, you know what's funny with Pat is um, he had a little bit of affection for the, our, our wives. So my <laughs> wife and Casey's wife and the accent. And he was so polite. To, you know, when he sees us in the bar and everything. And so we'd come over and say hello to everyone. And, uh, and my wife would go, oh, he's so nice. He's so nice. And I'm like, he's a freaking psycho. Mm -hmm. But again, he is so nice off the field. And uh, my favorite story about Pat on the field, um, playing uh, Nottingham Forest away. And Bruce Murray won't like the story, but so be it. So we're playing North, uh, Nottingham Forest away. And uh, Pat just joined the team and uh, Bruce was playing I want to say up front and uh, he didn't know everybody's name and during the game he says to Bruce number seven hey stop giving the ball away number seven <laughs> priceless turned the game and lost forward number seven stop giving the ball away oh priceless brilliant brilliant, brilliant. really so, yes, I so that's my, my story 
Yeah, mate, that's a, it's a great one. It's a, it's, a, it's a clean one, shall we say, on other ones we've heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. a character. I'm trying to get him on the show, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. But So, yeah, as I said, you, you come to me all a bit at the business end and you play... Did you play on the very last game at Bristol Rovers? To be honest, I don't really think it matters if you played or not, just you was there as part of it. And I, want, I was injured, actually. Yeah. I, I was injured that last game, but I was in the stand and I think I was sitting next to Casey's wife when he got absolutely tackled and stripped, he ran into the locker room naked. So I remember that game. I was injured. I didn't play that last one. Um, but uh, hilarious, hilarious scenes and, and, you know, memorable, right? The last game ever played at, uh, at the old den. Very oh, exactly, memorable. Mate. Exactly, mate. Well, we didn't play well. We got a bad result. We didn't play well, I don't think. No, 3-0. We lost to Bristol Rovers. But let's talk about something you definitely will remember. We'll move on to the 93-94 season. The new den opens. You've probably been dining out on this for the last 20-something years. Uh, Millwall 1, Sporting Lisbon 2, managed by Bobby Robson and a young Luis Figo is also in the side that night. But the first ever goal scorer at the new den. So that is you. What do you remember that night? Yeah. Well, another player that was a big-time player, being a Celtic fan, was Richard Cadetti, was uh, playing as well up front. Um, and, you know, everyone talks about, <clears throat> you know, what was your objective in that game? And it necessarily wasn't to score the first goal because I didn't even think about that, what that would entail or, you know, the, the label that I get for the rest of my life, which is, I love it. It's a fantastic compliment. Mm. But my goal at that time was just to get in the team and stay in the team. So I had a pretty good preseason. We were in Ireland um, where Mick comes from and we, we had some good games. I scored a couple of good goals and was, you know, getting more confident. And my, my objective was I got to play well. And, and continue my progress so I could stay in the team. And uh, to score that first goal, I didn't really, really realize what, what it would mean in, in the label for the rest of my life, which is, which is a great one. Because, oh, yeah, he scored the first goal. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool to have that label. Definitely. So, yeah, it was a, it was a thrill. And, and um, you know, I, I remember talking to Andy Roberts about it. Uh, I thought he played me the ball, but it was um, uh, our left fullback. Oh, my Huxford, goodness. Richard Huxford. No, oh, Lee no, Luskin. no, the left no, no, the guy play, played a long time at Millwall, little left back, little tiny guy. Ian Dawes. He, Ian Dawes, Ian Dawes. Yeah, I think he played the ball in, or it might have been Lee Luscombe, I can't remember. But it missed out the first defender, and I just had to get in front of the Dutch international defender. I just knew I just got to, you know, I can hear Mick's, Mick's voice, get across the defender, get across the defender. <laughs> so I just nipped in front of him, and, and uh, I took a big kick from him, but, what a thrill to score that goal. Already taken. Neatly switched by Allen. Now it's going to come across. And there's Roberts. And the first goal has been scored by John Kerr. The American has the honour of making history with the first goal ever at the New Den. And fittingly, it's Millwall who score against Sporting Club de Portugal. The free kick had been taken quickly, and eventually when the ball came across, Levijic couldn't do much about it, especially when Kerr was stationed no more than a couple of yards out. Mm. And, and, you know, 20,000 people there, all the anticipation... And again, for me, the motivation was I want to get in the team the next week and stay in the team. So luckily for me, that worked. 
Yeah, well, I was going to say, there was a big competition for places in your, in your position that year. I mean, no disrespect, when we signed you, uh, we all, you had Jamie Morley and John Goodman firing on all cylinders at the last year at the old den. Then the first year at the new den, you've got yourself, Bruce Murray, Jamie Morley, John Goodman, John Byrne, and uh, also Clive Allen as well. So it was, it was very difficult uh, to force your way into the team, wasn't it? It was, and you're forgetting one name that you'll, you'll remember, and it was a very good player, Malcolm Allen. Cool. So Malcolm yeah, Allen got traded during that period at the beginning of the year, hmm. or not traded, sold to uh, Newcastle. Right, um, yeah. So there was a lot of competition for places, and that's, that's why I was so motivated to do well is because I knew that I'd had to play at my best to, to have an opportunity. So, mm. you know, I was in really good shape uh, physically. I, you know, did all the, all the running in the preseason, make sure I was fit and, and uh, got even stronger in the preseason, scored some few goals. And in that period, the team was flying. The team was playing some good football. Mm. And, uh, and it was exciting times at the new den. Well, we finished third, make the playoffs and we played Derby. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you figured in those games, but obviously we definitely would have been part of bidding around it. But um, what do you remember about that? Oh, vivid memories. Um, I was uh, on the bench for both those games down the stretch. And um, it was an interesting time because we were, we were playing well and we ended up, I want to say we finished third, as you said. And, you know, we're, we're going in with a lot of confidence, but um, we had a tough time away at Derby. We just didn't get going, didn't play well. And uh, that was a shame because I think we left ourselves too much of a gap. Uh, would we lose three or four, one in that game? Uh, three. And then uh, we had to come home and then. Yeah, two nil. And then at home, we, we, we let it go in early. Yeah, so there was a big gap that we, you know, a disadvantage. And then when they scored, I want to say they scored first at the new den. Yeah. I think that really, really uh, ruined our op- opportunity. And, and the fans were, were disgruntled, they were disappointed. Because the year before, in 92, when I, when I did join, that was a good team pressing for promotion. And this fell off at the, at the tail end. That's right. And then, you know, we got better. We got more players. And, and it was disappointing that we lost so early because, you know, it was a really good team and great camaraderie. And, and all of a sudden, uh, a lot of, lot of players went different directions after that. But that was our big opportunity and one that we missed. Yeah. It's a shame, mate. I said that a lot of players did, uh, did go different directions. And the next season, which would have been your last season at the club, the 94-95 season, this was when you really got to see, you know, Ben Thatcher, Mark Beard, uh, Andy Roberts had already been part of it as well. And also Mark Kennedy. What were they like, them young boys, being around them day to day? Was they um, part of everything that was going, um, you know, all the jokes, etc., around the training ground? Yeah, they were fun. They were fun kids. Came up through the program. Tom Wally did a great job with them with the youth club. And, and we were following them. We would go to their games. And, and they got to the final, I want to say, was at Manchester United? That's right, yeah. Um, lost in the final, I believe. But they had, you know, great personalities. And you knew they were going to make it. Mark Kennedy stood out like a sore thumb. What a talent. And what a nice boy. What a nice young man. And, and um, I know he went to Liverpool shortly thereafter. And I know the team split up and Thatcher went to Manchester City, I believe, and, and Mark Beard went somewhere else. But great kids, and you knew that they had a big future, and, and they brought some personality to the group, and it was lively. The training was, was lively. It was, it was difficult. It was very, uh, you know, um, physical. It was, a lot of, it was playing at a fast pace. So you had to stay up with it. It was, it was a challenging time, and, um, you know, the team got a good run in the FA Cup, that year, beating Arsenal at Highbury. I wasn't on the bench that game. I was in the stands watching, 
So I celebrated this like all the Millwall fans, but it was <laughs> really good times at the club and, and uh, I really enjoyed myself. It was a great period for the club and, mm-hmm. and we fell short of maybe some people's expectations, but you know, it was a really enjoyable period. Mm. For you personally, I see you came the back end of the 92-93 season. It's going to be difficult to force your way in at any point there. Then the 93-94 season, you know, there's a lot of strikers at the club. You started out the 94-95 season as, as, as the main striker. Uh, we started the season well. I think three wins from the first, sorry, two wins from the first three and one draw. And you score a hat-trick. You come off the bench for um, Dave Mitchell and injured Dave Mitchell and ended up putting a hat-trick past Derby County. I remember very well. It was a beautiful, beautiful day in South London. Um, and, you know, coming off the bench early, it was a surprise because Davey must have injured his calf or something. And uh, I was just happy for the opportunity and, and I felt good and I felt I was training well at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I just felt I wanted to con- contribute to the, to the, to the team. And, and, you know, I think it might've been the first game after losing to Derby in the playoffs the year before. So we had a point to prove mm. and everyone was motivated. And, and uh, for me, I think I came on and I, I crossed the ball in for John Goodman who headed down for Alec Ray to finish for the first goal. And then uh, we were on top of them. And I can't remember if we went. Yeah, it was, we were one nothing up at halftime. And we came, came into the locker room at halftime. And we knew that we were playing well. And we felt good about ourselves. And, again, motivated to get the result. And then, again, I just felt sharp. And, and John Goodman, I have got to give him credit because he took a lot of the focus away from me by taking two defenders. He was very active. And, he, you know, he would uh, bring the ball forward and look to, to dish it at the last minute. And he, he laid on, uh, I know, one of the goals for me. And, you know, was running off the ball. And, and I think Alec Ray was really in his prime then. He was mm-hmm. really, you know, he's a kind of a midfielder that could come forward and cause so much havoc. He could shoot from distance. He could slip you in. And I think I benefited from one of these little uh, deflections. And I just was sharp on it. And, and I finished it with my left foot. And uh, kind of amazing. I scored two goals with my left foot and one with my head in that game. Already a busier half for Keller than he had in the first half. Goodman going all the way. Goodman again. Will he get the shot in as well? He tried. It comes to Kerr. And that's the second goal. Just two minutes into the second half. And that's a magnificent start for Millwall. Leading by a goal to nil. Goodman tried the original shot. And it broke very kindly for Kerr who right for the ball home, giving Taylor no chance whatsoever. Kennedy goes short. It is flicked on by Goodman, and there's the third goal. <laughs> 18 minutes into the second half. They worked the corner superbly. Kennedy flicking the ball to the near post. Goodman flicking it on. And a substitute... Kerr gets his second goal of the game. Goodman again. He deserves a goal for the work he's put in today. And look at that beautiful play. Gets it across. That's the fourth goal. And it completes the hat-trick for Kerr. And it's only what Mill would have deserved. Especially Kerr, who came on for Mitchell in the first half. And has taken all three chances superbly. So it was, it was obviously a good, a good day for me. And, you know, I was in and out of the team the rest of the season. And, you know, it, didn't, it wasn't a perfect end for me, but 
I still have so, such fond memories of that group. And I felt, I think, what would we finish that year in 95 or 94? No, well, we slipped away. We didn't make the playoffs, yeah. did we? Yeah, no, we slipped away a bit due to the cup run. But um, that was going to lead me on to the question to ask you was, um, how did it come about you leaving the club? Um, geez, I think it was twofold. Um, it was well known that America, USA were, the league was about to start. So we were in negotiations a little bit already, all three of us, although Casey was just starting his career. So the head of the Federation from the U S came over and met us at the hard rock cafe in London. I want to say in December time and made it clear that, you know, they wanted to sign us and, and have us play in the league and, you know, be, me being around my early 30s, I thought it would be a perfect time to transition back to America. Cool. I have an American wife, just got married a couple of years before and, uh, you know, go back to where we come from and start this new league and et cetera. So that was in the works. And, um, you know, it was also coming to the end of my, my I wasn't as, as uh, I don't know, fit or not fit, but I, I had a few injuries during my career there and I wasn't playing my best and, and it was probably for the better that, you know, Mick said, look, it's probably not good for you to stay here. You've got to move on. And, you know, we both kind of understood that it was, it was time. Mm. So it's, I, I would have loved to have stayed, but, you know, under the circumstances, it was probably the right thing to do. Came back to the States, I played in the, the new MLS, Major League Soccer, for two years. One in Dallas, and I got traded halfway through that season, and I got to play with a famous – Former Manchester United player Frank Stapleton was my manager in New England. Okay. So I moved to Boston and played there for two years. And then I became uh, – so I, I, my contract was, was finished there after two years. And then I was 34 at the time. I got a job coaching a league below the MLS. Um, and I was able to bring a famous Scotsman over to be my assistant, believe it or not. Stevie Nichol joined oh, me wow. as a player – player coach and so he and I coached for two years together and um, as I mentioned before I was always in the long term wanting to be a coach at university I just felt that my calling was helping young kids get better and not just football but in life and being around that academic scene was, was something close to my heart because I went to an academic school you know growing up and I, I just felt that was my calling I could really make some impact with some of these young guys. So um, came back and I, and I coached those two years with uh, the Boston Bulldogs with Stevie Nichol. And then the Harvard university job came open in Boston. And my wife was already the assistant coach for the women's team there, oh, really? Tracy. And uh, the other story I was going to tell you about Tracy, maybe I should tell you now real quick. So do you know that she played for the Millwall lionesses? No. My wife. Did she really? Yeah. It wasn't the way you met her though, was it? She came with you already. No, 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 no. Well, we got married and I, came, I brought her back and she played at University of Virginia with John Harkes' wife. And wow. John Harkes' wife, you're, you'll laugh at this. So one Sunday afternoon, myself and John Harkes were sitting in a stand watching our wives play against each other. So my wife was playing for Millwall and his wife was playing for the Derby ladies team. And uh, it was a great game, 4-3, but the Lionesses won. And uh, so we went home happy. <laughs> but yeah, so my wife played, uh, played there for two years. So like I mentioned, um, you know, my wife was the assistant coach at Harvard when, I, when that job came open and mentioned it to the uh, athletic director that I'd be interested if, 
if uh, if the, if you wanted to consider him. So I was able to get an interview, and and then I ended up uh, getting the job, and I left Steve Nichol with that the club that I was coaching, right. and and he went on to coach the New England Revolution for ten years and had a great career. And I still talked to him. I talked to him the other day. He's now doing uh, working for ESPN here with with. Um, with uh, Craig Burley on a regular basis. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, so from there, um, uh, I was at nine, nine years at Harvard University and then my old school, Duke University, uh, that job came open with my old coach retiring. And I've been at Duke now in North Carolina for 13 years. So oh, yeah. very, very lucky. And we have three kids. And one of my sons plays for me at Duke. And my daughter plays uh, football at Vanderbilt University. Wow. And I keep uh, saying, you got to go to England and play. And the Lionesses, <laughs> you do what your mother did. So maybe that could be on the cards at some point. Um, and my young son is 15, and he's a good footballer. So um, I'm going to bring him over at some point to, because they can, they can play in Britain, you know, being, me being a British subject. So yeah, definitely. hopefully that, uh, that comes out at some point in the next few years. That's brilliant that your wife was a, was, was a Lioness. So you obviously you're at the club at the time. You're at Mill, you're a pro, and... Was they looking for players? And you said, hang on, my wife's, my wife's off decent. Well, it's funny. The coach at the time um, was a guy named Jim Hicks. And Jim Hicks and I played one summer together in my travels uh, three or four years ago. And I said, hey, Jimmy, uh, my wife plays for, you know, plays. And she played at Virginia. And he knew all about the, the American system, et cetera. I said, yeah, bring her down. So she went to training and she said, yep, signed. Signed up right now. <laughs> so she, she played with uh, – Prue Buckley, who's still with the club, I think, um, in the youth scene, I think she's still involved with the commercial side, oh. and all the all the girls back in those that ninety period. So they had a good team, and they were pretty, they're, they're good. And my miss, my wife played uh, midfield. She's a midfield striker. She could score goals. She scored a few goals for the for the Lion S's. Yes, it was great times. Brilliant, mate. Sounds like you really really enjoyed your time at the club. I always ask at the end uh, if you could pick one standout memory from your time at the club. What would it be? Well, it's hard to not be involved in that uh, first goal ever at the new den. Mm. That was uh, a thrill of a lifetime. Um, obviously, the hat trick is, is a big one. I think I scored a really good goal. It didn't mean much because we ended up losing the game. Um, one of my favorite goals was away at Tranmere. I came on as a sub, and I, and, uh, I want to say Greg Barry played me in on the right, and I, I was – I don't know, frustrated or angry. I hadn't played as much and I wanted to really prove myself. And I just got the ball out in front of me and I hammered it to the back post in off the post and it went in and, and uh, it was, it was, it was bad because we were making a comeback. We just ran out of time. I think we were getting beat three nil John Aldridge scored and, and we weren't playing well and we came on and we got it back to three, two. I think Jamie Marley scored in that game. But those, those, those times stand out to me and just being around the fans and the players and the coaching staff, the whole environment, I loved it. I just have so much fond memories of the club and the people. And even when I come back, they're so welcoming. And, um, you know, I, come, I, I went to watch uh, this past winter, I went to watch uh, the youth team play because I'm saying if there are any smart kids that, that want to pursue the university level, then let's bring them over to Duke University. And we, we wear royal blue, so you don't have to switch colors. <laughs> Another, the final question I always ask, it is me all orientated, but more of the uh, off-the-field antics and on it. 
if you could pick, if you tomorrow night, if you could go out with three of your old Mill teammates for one last drink, one last night out, which three would you take? Uh, like apart from Casey and the obvious Bruce and David Mitchell, um, I'm going to go the English side. For sure, Keith Stevens, Rhino, for sure. Um, you know, back in those days, a guy named Alec Ray was crazy. He was a nut. He's nuts. Um, so I think, I think him, but he doesn't drink anymore. Um, and I have, to, I have to go with my other partner in crime in, in terms of being a striker was Jamie Marley. What a lad. He was a fun guy to be around. He was, he was uh, what was that, that show, Only Fools and Horses? Yeah. He's like Del Boy. <laughs> I mean, personality and always up to something. I had a deal going on and, had, you know, he was out in the discos. He had all, all things going on all the time. <laughs> so those three. So Keith Stevens, Alec Ray, and uh, Jamie Marley. Brilliant. My three guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed talking to you. And as I said, you know, I don't need to congratulate you. I don't need to congratulate you on it, but you are a part of history, obviously, the first ever score at the, at the New Den. So congratulations on that and your time at Millwall. And thanks so much for joining us. It's been brilliant. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. I hope to see you guys again soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.